Hello, welcome to The Wire Podcast, a podcast that provides the best content about all things sports. I'm Ryan McCreary, and to kick off today's episode, I want to talk about all of the games from the wildcard round of the NFL playoffs. After that, I want to discuss the Miles Garrett versus TJ Watt debate. I want to talk about all of the different stats that we have to measure pass rushers. I want to talk about the strengths and weaknesses of these stats. And then I want to use these metrics to settle the Miles Garrett and TJ Watt debate to some degree. And then lastly, to close out the podcast, I want to talk about the Atlanta Hawks. They've had a very disappointing season so far. I want to talk about things that they are doing well and things that they are not doing so well and why they have been struggling. That's what we have on tap for today's episode. I hope you're excited. I know I am. Let's go ahead and dive right in. All right, let's get the show on the road by talking about the wild card round of the NFL playoffs. I'm going to go through every single game. I don't know how many games there were off the top of my head, but we're going to go through every single one, starting off with the Browns versus Texans. So this was the first game on Saturday night, um, and Texans won 45-14. They dominated. It was a blowout. The game was actually close at one point, um, but Joe Flacco ended up throwing two interceptions, both being a pick six, and that played a huge role in this game, ended up being the way that it was a blowout. The Texans scored 21 unanswered points in the second half. Um, that, that also helped them out. Um, CJ Stroud played extremely well. Why don't start out there? Stroud was awesome. He was really good. And the Texans' offense overall played extremely well. Now, Stroud, in this game, had a QBR of 98.4. QBR is an EPA, expected points added based stat. And according to ESPN's Seth Walter, this was the best playoff QBR since Josh Allen versus the Patriots in 2022. At least it was until another quarterback's performance, which we'll talk about in a bit. But yeah, this this performance from Stroud was really good. He did get he, he did get some help from um, some yards after the catch from his receivers, but overall he played really well, pushed the ball down the field, and had a nice performance. Uh, the Texans' offense was far better than the Browns in this game. They averaged 8.1 yards per play, 0.29 EPA per play, and had a 54% passing success rate, which is really, really good. Great numbers across the board from the Texans. Now, neither team could run the ball, but that didn't really matter for the Texans because they had a lot of success throwing the ball. They did not need to run the ball. This was an awesome performance for the Texans and a very underwhelming performance from the Browns, both offensively and defensively. Their defense was awesome during the regular season, but it fell apart in this game. They could not stop the Texans whatsoever, and Bobby Slowick, the Texans' offensive coordinator, he cooked. He was awesome in this game. He was cooking, um, and, and their offense really shined against a stout Browns defense. And then, of course, the Browns' offense really struggled. Joe Flacco played well at times, but those two pick sixes really killed the Browns in this game and played a big role in them getting beat as bad as they did. But shout out to the Texans. Big win for them. Big win for their, their first year head coach, D'Amico Ryans. Um, it, it's, it's awesome to see them play so well and to see them have you know success in the regular season and now going into the playoffs. That's great to see. And I was really impressed with the way that CJ Stroud played in this game. That was awesome. He's been great all year long. And he continues to play well, even in the playoffs. And that, that's awesome to see. So, shout out to the Texans. 
big win for them, and now they will face the Ravens in the divisional round. All right, now we can move on. Talk about Dolphins versus Chiefs. Uh, Chiefs won 26-7, and the weather was like the story of the game here. The weather was insane. It was negative 4 degrees at kickoff with a negative 27 wind chill. So it was very, very, very cold in this game. And the weather had a big impact on both teams' offense, as neither team were really that efficient offensively. Um, and when you watch the game, you can tell that it was having a big impact. Uh, both quarterbacks were kind of struggling to throw the ball down the field uh, with the weather being as bad as, the, as it was. Now, the Chiefs were solid offensively. They averaged .09 EPA per play, which isn't great, but it's not terrible. Um, and they were actually really good throwing the ball. They averaged .37 EPA per play on pass plays and had a 51% sorry a 51% success rate on passing plays, which is really good. Patrick Mahomes was really effective despite the weather. I mean, he made some big throws and had some big runs, which was great to see. Rasheed Rice, the rookie receiver for the Chiefs, he bought out. He caught eight passes for 130 yards and a touchdown, which was great to see. So the Chiefs offensively were pretty good in this game. Uh, despite the circumstances. Now, the Dolphins, on the other hand, were kind of a disaster. They were not very good offensively. They couldn't run or pass, and their offense was extremely inefficient, averaging negative .23 EPA per play and having a success rate of just 31%, which is not very good. Tua really struggled in this game. He didn't have the worst game ever. It wasn't like he was completely awful, but his completion percentage above expected was extremely low. He couldn't push the ball downfield, and he had an interception. Now, he did have one deep throw to Tyreek Hill, but it was like an arm punt. Um, he wasn't able to throw the ball down downfield all that well. Um, the throw was short, forced Tyreek Hill to stop, and he made an awesome play to score. The throw was lucky to be caught, much less turn into a touchdown. Um, so, that was a big issue. The Dolphins, they couldn't throw the ball down the field. Tua wasn't great. Their defense struggled. And you can tell that they were not really prepared to play in a game like this with the weather being this bad. There were some plays, especially in the second half, where they had a chance to make a tackle, but the effort just wasn't there. And you can tell that they just weren't ready to play in a game where the weather was this cold. Now, this game br brings up some big questions. Will the Dolphins extend to a tongue of Iloa? I don't know. I think they will. I think they're going to try to keep him there. I think they want to stick with him long term. Should they? In my opinion, no. I think Tua is good in that offense. I think he runs that offense fairly well, especially in the regular season. But he has some severe limitations as a player. His arm, his arm strength, not that great. Um, his decision-making at times can be a little subpar. And I think that his, his performance under pressure is a major question mark. It was during the regular season this year. His, his production under pressure was not that great. It didn't match up with the elite quarterbacks in the NFL like Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson. So that's a big issue, and I think that keeps him from being a clear franchise quarterback. He also doesn't run the ball that much. He doesn't provide much value as a rusher, which isn't the biggest issue in the world, but that is another thing that differentiates him from some of the elite quarterbacks in the NFL today. Um, so I think the Dolphins will try to extend him. I'm not necessarily sure that they should. I think they would be much better going after a guy like Kirk Cousins, 
someone who is a lot better under pressure than Tua Tagovailoa. I think he would be much better in this offense than Tua is. Um, and so I think he is a guy the Dolphins should go after. Will they be able to get him in free agency? I'm not sure, but he is available. He is a free agent this summer. The Dolphins can, and in my opinion, should go after him um, because their Super Bowl window is right now, and they can't have a guy like Tua holding them back. And I know that sounds blunt, and I know that's negative, but I'm just being honest here. I think that Tua is going to really hurt the Dolphins' chances of winning a Super Bowl right now. He's got to get a lot better, and I think Kirk Cousins is good enough uh, to lead the Dolphins to a Super Bowl. Um, I do think the Dolphins are a little bit away from that. I think they need to improve their defense, and I think they obviously need to improve their quarterback play. But I think Kirk Cousins does give the Dolphins a better chance of winning the Super Bowl than Tua does at this point, and I think that's just the honest truth. Another question that is raised after, after this game is whether or not Mike McDaniels will give up play calling duties. Now, I don't think anybody was expecting this uh, after the game, but McDaniels did bring this up in his post-game presser, or actually not his post-game presser, but I think um, the presser after the season ended on, I believe, either, I think it was Monday, I think it was yesterday that he had the press conference and he brought this up, um, and that's very interesting. Now, I don't think he should give up play calling duties. He's a great play caller arguably the best play caller in the league right now, especially in terms of the offensive play callers. So for him to give give up play calling duties, I think that would be a massive, massive mistake. I think he should continue being the play calling. I don't think that's the issue with this team. Um, in, in fact, I don't think that's an issue at all. So I think that would be a big mistake for him to give up play calling duties, but it'll be interesting to see if he actually does that moving forward. I hope he doesn't. He shouldn't, in my opinion. I think he's a great play caller. There are bigger issues than that with this team, but we'll see what Mike, what Mike McDaniels does um, in this area moving forward. But um, yeah, now the Chiefs moving forward, they're going to play the Bills in the next round. The Dolphins, their season is over. We'll see what changes the Dolphins make to their roster um, after the season, but they've got to make some changes. They definitely have to make some changes. This is two years in a row where this team falls short in the playoffs. I know last year they didn't have Tua, who was out due to injury, but this year um, they didn't really have any excuses. They had to play well in the playoffs, and they didn't. They really struggled versus the Chiefs, so it'll be really interesting to see what changes the, the front office makes um, and, and whether or not this team can bounce back in a big way next season. All right, now let's move on to our next game, Packers versus Cowboys. This was the first game on Sunday, and this was another blowout. Packers won 48-32. The Cowboys were big favorites in this game, but they had a very disappointing performance, and the Packers were dominant for a vast majority of this game. The Cowboys did start to come back a little bit in the second half, but the Packers secured a 16-point uh, victory on the road. The Packers' passing attack was insane in this game. They averaged 13 yards per pass attempt. Uh, 1.13 EPA per play, and that EPA per play number on passes is ridiculous. That is insane. They also had a 73% success rate on pass plays. Once again, that number is freaking insane. That's crazy. Jordan Love, their young quarterback, was awesome in this game. Earlier, I mentioned that CJ Stroud had the highest QBR by a quarterback since Josh Allen in 2022. Well, Jordan Love outdid him. In this game against the Cowboys, 
he had a QBR of 99.3, which is an insane number, and it's the best QB, QBR in a single playoff game ever. Like, ever. Not just since Josh Allen. The best single game QBR in the playoffs ever. That's nuts. Uh, so he, he was obviously incredible in this game. Now, um, he wasn't the only player that played well. Romeo Dobbs, their, their young receiver, also had an incredible performance, catching six passes for 151 yards and a touchdown. Aaron Jones also had a good game. Um, he recorded 21 carries for 118 yards and three touchdowns. He was good on the ground. Um, and the uh, moving on to the Cowboys, their defense was terrible in this game. That was one of the biggest stories of the game. Their defense was bad. It was a big reason why the Packers had so much success offensively. Their defense looked completely different than it did in the regular season, and they struggled. Um, their offense also struggled as well. They were not very good. Dak Prescott did put up some big numbers in terms of passing yards, and he had, I think, three passing touchdowns. Uh, but he was terrible in the first half, and he, and he had two interceptions. One was a pick six. Um, so he, he was not very good in the first half, did not show up. Uh, he was much better in the second half, but in the first half, man, things were rough. Their rushing attack was, uh, really efficient, but they were down big for most of the game, so they had to throw the ball a lot. They weren't able to rely on the run game, um, and, and the fact that they had to rely on their passing game so much is a big reason why CeeDee Lamb, Michael Gallup, and Jake Ferguson all had over 90 receiving yards, and also something that I thought was interesting, Ferguson had three receiving touchdowns, which is cool. He had a good performance, um, but yeah, the, the Cowboys defense was bad. Their MVP candidate, Dak Prescott, really underperformed in the first half, um, and so it was just a bad performance all around for the Cowboys. They did not show up, and they really struggled in basically every area of the game other than running the ball. Now, this raises a big question. Will the Cowboys fire their head coach, Mike McCarthy? McCarthy is a great head coach, a good play caller, but they have won double-digit games in the last three seasons, and they continue to fall short in the playoffs. Like, they, a change has to be made, and I think they will end up firing McCarthy. Um, I know McCarthy is a great head coach, um, but something has to change. You can't fall short in the playoffs this many times and just not do anything different. They've got to make a change, and I think that they will end up firing McCarthy and potentially going after a guy like Bill Belichick. Um, I think Jerry Jones will like Bill Belichick and try to go after him. Um, but yeah, I think something has to change with their coaching staff, and I think that the change they're going to make is firing Mike McCarthy. Um, this was a really bad performance from the Cowboys. They really wet the bed here, um, and you cannot continue to do this in the playoffs. Eventually, you're going to get fired, and I think that's going to happen to Mike McCarthy. All right, now let's move on. Talk about Ryan, or sorry, Ryan. That's my name. Talk about Rams versus Lions. Lions won this game 24-23 at home, and this was huge because this was the Lions' first playoff win in 32 years. It was a huge moment for the city of Detroit, and they played well. They were really good offensively, uh, averaged around 0.17 EPA per play, and had a 49% success rate on all plays. Really good production there. Jared Goff was really good. He was efficient, completed a lot of passes, uh, made, made a lot of good throws. He was great. Amon Ross St. Brown was really good, had seven catches for 110 yards. Josh Reynolds also made some big plays, and he was pretty good, had five catches for 80 yards. 
Um, now, the Rams were really good as well. This was a very close game. Like, the score was good. Uh, the score was close. But the advanced numbers were also very close for both teams. The Rams' offense averaged about 0.27 EPA per play and had a success rate of 47%. So, um, both teams were very efficient offensively. Matthew Stafford was really good in this game. He was awesome, made some big plays down the field, and he was really good versus his former team. Um, Puka Nakua, their rookie wide receiver, was insane. Had nine catches for 181 yards and a touchdown. Um, I think Sean McVay was really good at times in this game. I think he was good as a play caller. But in terms of managing the game in high leverage situations, he failed. He was way too conservative in this game. He kicked three field goals in the red zone. He also punted with under five minutes to go in the game, despite only having one timeout, and despite the fact that his defense just isn't very good. I thought that was a bad decision. Um, and so I think Sean McVay was a huge reason why the Rams ended up losing this game. I think the Rams honestly should have won this game. They were really good in the second half, but they just couldn't close out drives in, a, in the red zone. They kept kicking field goals, which I think was a mistake. There was one point where they were down four in the red zone, kicked a field goal, which they can't do. That's that's just a mistake. That's bad coaching, bad decision-making by Sean McVay. And McVay is a great coach. He's one of the better coaches in the entire NFL. But to be this conservative, like that is very disappointing. That's t it was tough to watch. And I'm not even a Rams fan. And I was like inconsolable after the game. Like, dude, Sean McVay, what are you doing? You really hurt yourself, man. Um, another thing that you have to note with this game, the refs made some iffy calls. I don't think the refs um, like killed either team, but they did make some iffy calls. They called a false start on, I believe, the Lions at one point, um, and they also did not call a holding um, by a Lions receiver on 30 and 14 at the end of the game. Um, a Lions uh, defender was holding Pukunakua pretty clearly, like it was pretty obvious, but they let it go. I thought that was a missed call, but you can't blame the refs. Like the the Rams only have themselves to blame for this game. Um, they didn't finish drives in the red zone, and they were way too conservative at times. Another another uh, conservative decision that Sean McVay made that I'm just now that just now popped into my head was right before the half. They had the ball with like a minute to go, and they were deep in their own territory, but they had a big play on the first play of that drive, but then they just let the play, the, the clock run out, and they went to halftime down, I believe they were down seven. Let me actually look and see uh, what the score was at that point. Um, I should be able to see that. So, yeah, they were down four at that point. They were down four at the half. And they were okay with that. And I just thought that was a big mistake, not being more aggressive there with Matthew Stafford as a quarterback with a really good offense. I mean, I thought that was way too conservative there. That was another mistake that Sean McVay made. Um, and although the Lions played well in this game and deserved to win, like they performed well enough to win, I kind of thought they got lucky a little bit. Um, their defense was really good in the red zone. I want to give their defense credit for that. And I want to give their defense credit for holding the Rams to 23 points. But the fact is, the Rams were great in this game. They played well They played well offensively, and they made enough big plays to win this game. Um, there were just some things that, some decisions that were made by their head coach uh, that really hurt them, and I think helped the Lions win this game. The Lions easily could have, could have lost this game. 
Um, and that's a fact that, that you can't deny. Like, I, I want to give them a lot of credit for winning this game. And this is a huge moment. And they should be excited about that. But this was um, a game where they definitely easily could have lost if, if a couple things went the Rams away and if the Rams were, were a little bit more aggressive. But the fact is the Rams didn't do that and the Lions ended, ended up winning this game um, and moving on to the, to the divisional round. So shout out to the Lions. Rough loss for the Rams. Uh, they'll have to do some, they'll have to look themselves in the mirror after this game and make some adjustments heading into next season. But yeah, awesome year for the Rams. They overperformed expectations and they played well in this game. But the Lions, uh, they were a little bit better. Uh, they were really good in the second half, uh, especially on defense. And they, they played just well enough to win this game um, and to win their first playoff game in 32 years. All right, now let's move on. Talk about Steelers versus Bills. Uh, I don't want to talk about this game too much. It wasn't all that exciting. Bills won 31-17 at home. They were rolling early. They were up 21-0 at one point in the first half. The Bills offense was incredible, both in terms of passing and rushing. They did not struggle to move the ball in this game at all. Uh, Josh Allen was really good. He had over 200 passing yards, over 70 rushing yards. He also had three total touchdowns and zero turnovers. He was great. Now, the Steelers were a completely different story. Their offense was very inefficient all around and had multiple turnovers, while the Bills had zero turnovers. I will say Mason Rudolph was okay in this game. I thought he was decent in the second half. He wasn't good, but he wasn't bad, wasn't terrible, definitely could have played worse. Um, so the Steelers, um, and I also got to give a huge shout out to them for coming back in the second half a little bit. At one point, they made it a seven-point game, but they couldn't close the deal. They couldn't come back, um, and they ended up winning by 14. But yeah, rough performance from the Steelers' offense. They did make some big plays in the second half um, as they were able to come back, but they they just couldn't couldn't do enough offensively uh, to complete the comeback, and they ended up losing by double digits on the road. Um, this this game brings up a big a big question: Will Mike Tomlin step away or get fired? I know that he's had a a, a good track record of his teams overperforming in the playoff or sorry overperforming in the regular season, but they don't really do much in the playoffs. They tend to overperform in the regular season, but once they get into the playoffs, they kind of fall apart, um, and it's very clear that they are not a good a good playoff caliber team, and that happened this year. I don't think he's going to get fired. Um, do I think he should get fired? Eh, I don't know. I mean, it's going to be hard to replace Mike Tomlin. He is a, a good coach to some degree. I mean, to be able to have your teams overperform over in the regular season this often and this consistently, that's really impressive, especially when they haven't had a great quarterback since uh, Ben Roethlisberger retired. I think that's impressive. I wouldn't necessarily fire him, but I think it is worth considering uh, because they just haven't been able to perform in the playoffs. But also, they haven't had a great quarterback. Part That's partially on the, um, the management um, and the front office. Um, so I'm not sure that firing Mike Tomlin would really fix anything. So um, I think that they will, that they might consider it like for a few seconds, but eventually I think they'll stick with Mike Tomlin. And honestly, that's probably the right decision, but something has to change. They've got to get a quarterback and they've got to start performing in the playoffs. If they don't do that soon, 
I do think that they will inevitably have to consider moving on from Mike Tomlin, but for now, I think they should keep him um, until they get a quarterback, and then once they get a, a serious quarterback, I think that they can then make a, a, a serious decision on whether or not they want Mike Tomlin to be their head coach for the uh, long term, for the future, but yeah, we'll see what they do there. Shout out to the Bills winning this game at home. Now they'll move on to play the Chiefs in the next round. All right, let's close out talking about the wildcard round by talking about Eagles versus Bucks. This was a wild game. Uh, Eagles were favorites in this game, but the Bucks dominated. They won 32-9. They were awesome in this game from the get-go. Uh, they, were, they had full control of this game from the beginning to the end. They were very good on both sides of the ball. Their passing attack was really impressive. They averaged .32 EPA per play on passing plays. Also had a 50% success rate on pass plays. They were really good at throwing the ball. Baker Mayfield was awesome. Had over 300 passing yards, 3 touchdowns, 0 interceptions. He was good. And on the flip side, the Eagles were terrible. They were awful, both offensively and defensively. On offense, they averaged negative 0.16 EPA per play, had a, had a success rate of 29%, which is unbelievably low. And they also were uh, 0 for 9 on third downs. Jalen Hurts struggled mightily. He wasn't very good, was very inconsistent. Um, they didn't have any turnovers, but they just could not move the ball consistently. They had some big plays. Like, I, I remember Jalen Hurts having a big throw to uh, Devontae Smith in the first half but they just were not very consistent on offense, and their defense sucked. Like, just to be blunt, their defense was terrible in this game. They couldn't tackle, and they missed a lot of opportunities to force turnovers. Baker Mayfield did have some turnover-worthy plays here in this game that, they, that the Eagles did not capitalize on. Um, but yeah, overall, the Eagles really struggled in this game. It was an awful performance. They went the bed here, and they just did not show up to this game. Shout out to the Bucks for winning this game. Uh, they move on to play the Lions in the next round. But yeah, the Eagles were not very good. They struggled mightily. Um, and Matt Patricia, I think his job is now up in the air. I don't think his job is secure. I think he's on the hot seat. Um, I think that I think that Nick Sirianni is... Did I say Matt Patricia? I meant, I meant Nick Sirianni. I was reading Matt Patricia's name. Nick Sirianni, I think his job security... Um, is on the line here. He may get fired. Should he get fired? Honestly, I think it's something the Eagles should consider. I know that he's been uh, winning a lot of games since he got there, but you do have to consider the fact that uh, the roster has been elite from day one. Um, so that's something you got to consider. And also, the fact that he allowed Matt Patricia to be his defensive play caller in the second half of the season, that was a huge mistake. And Matt Patricia has just done a terrible job of being the defensive play caller. Their defense was bad when he took over, and it got worse. And so the fact that Nick Sirianni made a decision like that is a huge red flag. I think they have to consider firing Sirianni, um, and I think they will. They will at least consider it. I don't know if they actually pulled the trigger here, pulled the trigger here, but that is something they have to consider because, man, they just had a terrible season. I know they won a lot of games, but they were so bad in the second half of the season, and they had a stinker in the playoffs here. And I think that is something that um, is is you know 
deserving of getting fired in terms, when you look at Nick Sirianni's job security, I think he um, would be deserving of losing his job if the Eagles decide to fire him. I don't know if they will, um, but changes have to be made moving forward. Their team was far worse this year than they were last year, um, and they were so bad in the second half of the season. They were so disappointing um, after, you know, the midway point of the season. So I think I think changes have to be made. They've got to find a good defensive play caller. They've got to find a good OC. Um, but yeah, like they, man, what a disappointing uh, end to the season. It's just, it's so bad. Like they were so bad in this game. And they were so bad in the second half of the season. I don't know what else to say. They've got to make some changes um, right now immediately or else I don't know where they go from here. But yeah, shout out to the Bucks. Big win for them. Big win at home. Now they move on. And now the Eagles have to go back to the drawing board. They've got to they've got to make some big changes, um, and I think they will. And it may just start with firing their head coach, Nick Sirianni. Well, that's all I've got to say about the wildcard games. I'm going to take a break, and then when we come back, I'm going to talk about Miles Garrett versus T.J. Watt. I'm going to talk about that debate, and we're going to talk all about different pass rushing metrics. I'm going to take a break, and I will be right back in just a minute. Okay, now let's talk about the Miles Garrett versus T.J. Watt debate. I've seen a lot of people discussing this recently on Twitter, and if you are chronically online like I am, like there's no way that you have avoided this discussion, this debate on Twitter. Uh, Steelers fans, Browns fans, Miles Garrett fans, T.J. Watt fans, these people are, you know, they have this discussion, this debate all the time on social media, and I think this is such an interesting question. Who's a better pass rusher? Miles Garrett versus T.J. Watt because it it pins like traditional stats versus modern advanced analytics. It, it pins them against each other, and I think that's interesting. Um, it also pins like traditional thinking when it comes to pass rushing versus modern thinking when it comes to pass rushing, and I think it's a a you know fascinating conversation. Um, and with this, I want to talk about the different metrics that we have today. Uh, to measure pass rushers. I want to talk about the strengths and weaknesses of these metrics. Uh, and I also want to talk about, you know, what makes a good pass rusher? What makes a, a defender good at rushing a passer? And then I want to, you know, use these metrics to find an answer to this debate. Who's a better pass rusher, Miles Garrett or TJ Watt? So let's go ahead and talk about the different metrics that we have to measure, to measure pass rushers. I think today there are four big metrics that people use to measure a player's pass rushing ability, that sacks, pressures, PFF pass rush grade, and pass rush win rate. Sacks, you know, this stat is, uh, has existed for a very long time. It's when a, a defender gets to the quarterback and brings the quarterback down while the quarterback has the ball in his hands. A pressure um, looks at a bunch of different metrics. It, it looks at sacks. It includes... Um, quarterback knockdowns, and quarterback uh, hurries. So it includes three different stats to look at all of the ways that a, a defender can put pressure on opposing quarterbacks. PFF pass rush grade, that is a stat from PFF, Pro Football Focus, where PFF grades every single play, and they grade every single pass rush snap that every defender takes. And so this um, is, a, is a metric that looks at a player's film um, and, and grades it, and so that's what PFF pass rush grade is, 
And then pass rush win rate is the percentage of, uh, of a defender's pass rush reps in which they quote-unquote win that rep. Now, a bunch of different sites has a pass rush win rate like PFF and ESPN. There's a, and they both have their own pass rush win rate metric, and they're both uh, calculated or measured very differently. PFS pass rush win rate is measured um, or tracked using my watching film, and for ESPN, it's uh, measured using um, like not film-based tracking, but kind of like uh, like the way that Next Gen Stats uh, track stuff is based on that, where they have like chips in the ball and chips in the helmets, and it uses that kind of data to measure this stuff, and that's how they measure their own pass rush win rate. Um, so we have all different kinds of metrics to measure pass rushers and how good players are at rushing the passer. The most popular metric for the last, like, 30 to 40 years has been sacks. Like, that's been the gold standard for most of uh, the history of the NFL and football in general. Um, and it makes sense. Sacks are one of the most valuable things that a defender can do. Sacking the quarterback is extremely valuable. Eric Eager, who now works at Southern Sports, used to work at PFF. He released an article in 2018 where he looked at the value of different types of pressure based on EPA. And so um, I'm going to go through all of them. So <clears throat> here's the value of a, drop, of, of a drop back on average where there's no pressure. Based on EPA, it's worth about 0.233 EPA. That's great. Like, that's a very efficient. Dropbacks with no pressure on average are very efficient. Here are all pass plays. That includes plays where there's no pressure, plays where there is pressure. All pass plays on average are worth about 0.025 EPA. That's not as, not as valuable as, or not as efficient as pass plays with no pressure, but still, um, still fairly efficient. Now, Pass plays where there's a hurry, that the EPA there goes down to 0.019, which is not bad. So um, very efficient, fairly efficient there. Um, the EPA for plays or for pass plays where the quarterback is hit, that's negative 0.161. So a big drop off there. Hits are pretty valuable. Um, EPA values for plays where the quarterback is hit and hurried, uh, that's negative 0.323. Very inefficient, so hits and hurries are very efficient there. And then you look at all pressures. All pressures have, a, on average, have a negative EPA value of negative 0.397. That's very valuable, so pressures alone are incredibly uh, valuable and impactful. And then you get to sacks, and there's a big drop-off. So sacks are worth, on average, about negative 1.856 EPA. That's a huge negative value. That means that sacks are very valuable for a defense, and they are huge negative plays for an offense. And uh, just to point out, or just to clarify, these values are basically uh, the average play for all these different situations. Of course, not all sacks are created equal. Not all pressures are created equal. But on average, this is the EPA value for all different kinds of pressures. So based on this data, it's very clear that sacks are incredibly valuable, incredibly valuable 
Like they're one of the, the most valuable things a defender can do because they cause an offense to lose yardage. They cause an offense to lose a down. They can end drives. They can force a fumble. There's so many, so many, you know, great and valuable things that come from sacks. And so you can see why sacks have been the gold standard for measuring or evaluating pass rushers over the last 40 years. Unfortunately, there are issues with sacks as a stat. First of all, there's a lot that goes into a defender getting a stat, getting a sack. A lot of things that the, that the defender themselves can't control. Obviously, of course, they have to win the rep, first of all. Um, then the defender has, sorry, the quarterback has to hold the ball long enough for the defender to get there. And that includes the quarterback holding the ball. It also involves the secondary playing good in coverage. Those are two things that the defender has no control over. And then, of course, once the defender reaches the quarterback, he has to tackle the quarterback. Sometimes the defender will miss the quarterback. Uh, sometimes the quarterback will move a little bit. Um, sometimes the defender may get unlucky with not being able to finish the sack, or they can just make a bad, take a bad, a bad angle uh, towards the quarterback and not bring him down. But you see that a lot of things have to go right for a defender to get a sack. There's a lot of things involved there that the defender has no control over. So right away, you can see that there are issues with using sacks to evaluate individual defenders. Another issue is that all sacks are not created equal. Sometimes defenders can rack up cleanup sacks. Those are sacks that don't happen because the defender beat his, beat his pass blocker and made a great play. Some, these are sacks where the secondary for, was, was so great in coverage forced the quarterback to hold the ball so long that eventually the quarter, the defender was just, you know, able to get past his man and get a sack. But it's not like the defender did anything spectacular on that play. The, the quarterback just held the ball forever. The secondary did great in coverage, and it ended up leading to a coverage sack. But those kind of sacks don't tell us much about individual defenders and their ability to rush the passer. Another issue with sacks is they are very, they're not stable. Year after year, sacks tend to fluctuate for players. And if you wanted to predict how many sacks a random player would have next season using their data from this, this season, what do you think would be better or more predictive, sacks or pressures? You may think the easy answer or the clear answer is sacks, but that's actually not the case. If you wanted to predict how many sacks, let's say, Miles Garrett would have next season, you would actually be better off using pressures because pressures are more predictive of future sacks than sacks themselves. Sacks are not a very predictive stat. Um, you know, obviously stats are valuable. They're important um, and, and they're great for defenses. However, they don't tell us a lot about individual players. They're not very predictive. And because of that, sacks are an important stat, but I don't think they're a good metric for evaluating individual players. There are better stats, including pressures. Pressures improves upon sack totals by not only looking at sacks, but also looking at knockdowns and hurries, which defenders have more control over. However, they still include sacks, which, you know, sacks as a stat have a little bit of variance, a little bit of noise. So there is some noise included in pressure. So I don't think that pressures are the best metric, 
but they are by far a better metric at evaluating or measuring a player's pass rushing ability than sacks are. I think that's clear when you look at the studies that when you look at the studies about sacks and pressures as a stat, like it's clear pressures are better than sacks, um, and they're better to use when evaluating individual pass rushers. Now let's look at pass, uh, PFF pass rush grade. People hate PFF. Um, that's just a thing. When you look on Twitter, a lot of people are very critical of PFF, largely because they don't agree with their grades. And I think that's fair. Like PFF grades are not perfect. And they're not perfect whatsoever. But I like PFF grades because they are created by watching tape and tracking the film. And I think that's valuable. I think that's great. And so when you look at PFF pass rush grade, they improve on sacks and pressures by adjusting for the quality of sacks. If a defender gets a lot of cleanup sacks, their PFF pass rush grade isn't going to be sky high. You can look at Vic Beasley's, uh, Vic Beasley's 2016 season with the Atlanta Falcons. That year, he led the league in sacks. He made the All-Pro first team, but his PFF grade and his PFF pass rush grade was low because he got a lot of cleanup sacks, and, and his sacks just weren't all that impressive. And so PFF pass rush grade adjusts for that. And it also adjusts for different quality of pressures, stuff like that. Um, and so I think that's what makes PFF pass rush grade such a good stat. And obviously, it's hard that, you know, you look at PFF pass rush grade and you see, okay, this player had a PFF pass rush grade of 90. What does that really mean? It's kind of hard to tell there. And so I, that's one of the biggest reasons why um, and that's, I think that's one of the biggest downsides or the biggest negatives of PFF pass rush grade. But overall, I do think it's a good stat. It's predictive. Um, and I think it's a better measure of a defender's pass rushing ability than sacks and even pressures. Um, because it is based on the film um, and it does adjust for different qualities of sacks and pressures. Now we go, um, we look at pass rush win rate. The, the strength of pass rush win rate is that it, it isolates a defender's uh, pass, rush, pass rushing ability to something that only they have control over, and that is winning the rep. The rest of the team has no impact on this stat, like it does uh, sacks and pressures. You know, with sacks and pressures, there's a lot of other things that are included there that the defender, the pass rusher, has no control over. But with pass rush win rate, this is solely looking at a defender's ability to win their pass rush reps and to win it at a high rate. And so I think that is something that is a clear strength of this metric. The downside with pass rush win rate is that it doesn't look at whether or not a player is able to finish the play. It doesn't look at the value of the rep. You know, if a player gets a lot of sex, that's valuable. And that's not included here with pass rush win rate. Uh, so that's a downside. But I do think it's very predictive, um, and it tells us a lot about individual pass rushers and their skill when it comes to rushing the passer. All right, what makes a good pass rusher? What makes a pass rusher good at rushing the passer? In my opinion, I think a good, a good pass rusher can win their reps at a high rate and can generate pressure at a high rate. I think that's what makes a pass rusher good at rushing the passer. I think it's both It's both being able to win reps at a high rate, but also being able to generate a lot of pressure. I think both things are extremely important. 
if a defender doesn't get a lot of sacks, that doesn't necessarily mean they're a bad pass rusher. But if they are not winning their reps at a high rate and they're not generating a lot of pressures, then yeah, they're probably not a good pass rusher. And now we're going to look at these stats to see who's a better pass rusher, TJ Watt or Miles Garrett. I want to look at, first, I want to I look at pro football references numbers because I think this is, um, their, their data is free, it's available to everyone, and I think they're probably the most popular website when it comes to football data. So this year, the leader in sacks in the NFL was TJ Watt with 19, according to Pro Football Reference. These numbers will look different for each website, but for Pro Football Reference, uh, TJ Watt was the leader in sacks. Miles Garrett was down here at number 8 with 14. We can look at pressures for ProFootballReference.com. Um, and I'm pulling that up right now. So their leader in pressures was, let me see, let me sort this. Their leader in pressures was Aiden Hutchinson with 62. And then following that, you had two players tied for second place. That was Max Crosby and TJ Watt, who both had 50 pressures. And then when you go down, you'll see Miles Garrett is at 10 uh, with 37. Now we're going to look at PFF. I actually prefer PFF's data. I know a lot of people, I mentioned this earlier that people uh, or a lot of people are critical of PFF's data, but I actually trust their data more than Pro Football Reference because their data is based off of tracking film. And so I think their data is more reliable than Pro Football References. We're, now I'm going to go over here to PFF, look at their sacks. I'm going to look at sacks and pressures first. So for this season, um, looking, I'm looking at edge rushers. Uh, their leader in sacks was, uh, was Trey Hendrickson and TJ Watt, both with 20 sacks. And then you look down here, Miles Garrett was, was eighth in sacks uh, with 15. And then we can look at total pressures. Number one was Aiden Hutchinson with 110. Miles Garrett was sixth at 89. And TJ Watt was eighth with 86. Um, so those were the sack and the pressure numbers for the, for both of these players this year, according to ProFootballReference.com and PFF.com. Now let's look at the more advanced metrics. Let's look at PFF pass rush grade. Number one this year in this metric was Miles Garrett at 94.7, which is an insane number. Like that is an incredible mark, really good. And then at number four, you have TJ Watt with 91.7. Both players were great in this metric. And then we can look at pass rush win rate. Number one was Miles Garrett with a mark of 27.3%. And then you go down to number 12, and that's where you see TJ Watt at 16.9%. Both of these players, by like every metric, every measure we have, is really good at rushing the passer. Um, I think that these numbers across the board um, uh, um, are great for Miles Garrett, especially the advanced numbers. But they're also great for TJ Watt as well. Um, the fact is, both of these guys are great pass rushers. Great pass rushers. Um, I think that Miles Garrett is better. In my opinion, he is better um, at rushing the passer. And I think his advanced metrics show that. But TJ Watt is a very good at rushing the passer. I am not a delusional person who thinks that TJ Watt is not a great pass rusher. He is. And that's clear when you look at the data. Now, some other things that you have to consider when you evaluate pass rushers is the difficulty of their assignments, how many snaps they play, uh, the role that they play within their defense, where they're lining up on the defensive line, 
Um, but I think something that's very important is the difficulty of their assignment. And another thing is how often they're double teamed. So a guy who works at PFF, um, his name is PFF Moo. He looked at this a few, he looked at the difficulty of pass rushers or edge rushers assignments. Um, and he actually tweeted this out uh, earlier this season. Um, he tweeted out a graphic that looked at each edge rushers uh, PFF grade and kind of looked at their, their raw pass rush, PFF pass rush grade uh, above expectation, uh, depending on the difficulty of their assignment. And number one here, in terms of uh, the player whose PFF grade was, the, was you know, the highest over expectation uh, regarding their, uh, dependent on their pass rush assignment, was Miles Garrett. Um, and he was the, clearly number one. And then you look at TJ Watt, he was closer to middle of the pack around Brandon, uh, Brandon Graham, Josh Allen, and Hutchinson, Andrew Van Ginkle. Uh, those were the guys that he was around. And so when you adjust for the difficulty of assignment, it's clear that Miles Garrett was a better pass rusher this year or had more impressive uh, pass rushing production. And then I know if you're on Twitter a lot, you've probably seen uh, the charts where it looks at uh, each edge rusher's pass rush win rate and their double team rate. And the guys who are high on those charts all the time are Miles Garrett and Micah Parsons. And then TJ Watt is closer to the middle of the pack. Now, I don't think that TJ Watt is an average pass rusher. I think that he does have easier assignments than Miles Garrett. And so you have to consider that when you look at his sack totals. But um, he is still a good pass rusher. But when you consider these other factors that are important, like the difficulty of, of, of an edge rusher's assignment and how often they're double teamed, when you when you adjust for that, it's clear that Miles Garrett is a better pass rusher than TJ Watt, in my opinion. And I've already mentioned that TJ Watt is a good pass rusher. I've already made that very clear. But when you look at more advanced numbers that we have today, it's quite clear that Miles Garrett is a better pass rusher than TJ Watt. It's clear. Now, I get that some people are going to use sack totals and pressure totals to measure individual pass rushers, and that's fine. That's okay. I understand why people want to do that. I get that, and I get the case for TJ Watt being the best pass rusher in the NFL today. I understand the case. I get it. However, in my opinion, I think those aren't the best ways to measure pass rushers, and when you, you know, when you're answering the question, who is the best pass rusher in the league, I think PFF pass rush grade and pass rush win rate are better measures. I think they're better metrics to measure pass rushers. Um, and I think that you also have to consider this other context, double team rate, uh, the difficulty of assignments. And when you look at all of that, I think the, the edge rusher who is the best pass rusher in the, in the NFL is Miles Garrett. And if it's not Miles Garrett, it's Micah Parsons. But I do think it is Miles Garrett um, pretty clearly. Um, that's my thought. That's my take on this whole debate. Um, I know, I know Steelers fans and Brown, uh, and uh, I know Steelers fans are going to disagree with me, and I, I know they're going to say, but you've got to value sacks more than anything. I just disagree. This is my philosophy when it comes to evaluating uh, pass rushers, and in my opinion, Miles Garrett is the best pass rusher in the NFL, and he is a better pass rusher than T.J. Watt. All right, those are my thoughts on this discussion, this debate. I'm going to take a break, and then we'll close out this, this episode of the podcast 
talking about the Atlanta Hawks and their struggles this season. I'm going to take a break, and I will be right back in just a second. All right, let's close out the podcast talking about the Atlanta Hawks. I just took a sip of water, started choking. I might die, but we're going to try to get through this. Let's go. So, the Atlanta Hawks, they've had pretty high expectations over the years, uh, stemming from making the Eastern Conference Finals in 2021. That may have been the 2021 season. It may have actually happened in 2022. That doesn't matter. But a few years ago, they made the Eastern Conference Finals. And since then, they've had pretty high expectations from fans, analysts. Um, and over the last couple of years, they've been pretty disappointing. And this season is no different. Um, right now, they have a record of 16-23. They're 11th in the Eastern Conference. And they're just not a good team. Like, by advanced metrics... They're below average. They're not having a great year. Now, it hasn't been a complete disaster. They're eighth in offensive rating, which is good. Um, and then Trey Young, Mohan Bogdanovich, and Jalen Johnson have all been good. Um, Trey Young's averaging 28 points, three rebounds, 10 assists per game on 58% shooting. He's also been much better on defense than he's ever been. He's known for being a terrible defender, but this year, he's actually been a lot better. He's not a good defender by any means, but at least he's not like, historically awful anymore. And then Bogey, he's averaging 17 points, 3 rebounds, and 3 assists per game on 56% true shooting. And then Jalen Johnson having a second-year breakout, averaging 15 points, 8 rebounds, and 3 assists per game on 67% true shooting while also playing good defense. Um, and then, of course, DeJounte Murray. I'm going to talk about him a lot later, but he's been good, um, not quite living up to expectations, and so I'll talk about that in a little bit, but it hasn't been a complete disaster in Atlanta. Their offense has been good. However, the team is still bad. They have a net rating of negative 2.1. That's point differential per 100 possessions, 23rd in the NBA. Their biggest issue is their defense. They um, have a defensive rating of 120.5, which ranks 27th in the league. Not good. Excuse me. Not good. Uh, Their defense is very inefficient. They rank 30th in effective field goal percentage allowed, and they rank 25th in defensive rebound rate allowed. Both really bad. Um, And teams shoot extremely well against the Hawks from inside the the arc and outside the arc. Um, And a vast majority of their players have been negative defenders this year, which sucks. I mean, only like three of their defenders have a positive defensive estimated plus minus this year. That includes Jalen Johnson, um, I think Clint Capella, and then if I remember, if I'm if I'm remembering correctly, I think it's also Wesley Matthews. I think those are the three players on the team with a positive uh, defensive estimated plus minus, which is not good. Another massive problem with this team is their wing rotation. Their wings have been terrible this year. That includes DeAndre Hunter, Sadiq Bay. Wesley Matthews, Garrison Matthews, and A.J. Griffin. I'm not considering uh, uh, Mohan Bogdanovich or DeJounte Murray here. I consider those guys to be more guards uh, than wings. Um, but the other, I guess you can consider them wings if you want to. But um, when I talk about our wings, and I say R because I am a Hawks fan, I, I mean DeAndre Hunter, Sadiq Bay, Wesley Matthews, Garrison Matthews, and A.J. Griffin. All of those guys, to be blunt, have been terrible. They've been awful. Um, all of these guys have negative estimated plus minuses because they've been either really inefficient or if they've been efficient, 
They've been terrible on defense. And so that's another huge issue. We don't have a good wing rotation. That's got to be better. That's got to that's got to improve. And then another problem <clears throat> has been Dejounte Murray. Or I mentioned a second ago that he is playing well. Like he's averaging twenty one points, five rebounds, and five assists per game on fifty seven percent true shooting. That's good production. Like I'm not I'm not complaining, saying that's terrible. <clears throat> I'm not delusional, but <clears throat> he hasn't been a great creator. He hasn't been a great scorer passer. Um, his efficiency has been a little bit underwhelming, and, and this is the biggest issue, he has taken a step back on defense, and so all of this is why he is having a pretty underwhelming season by impact metrics. His impact metrics across the board are, are, are lower than you would expect, and it's largely because he's not scoring on as high of a volume as he was a year ago, and his defense has just not been that great this year. He used to be an elite defender. And now that's not the case. Um, so that's another big problem. And lastly, and this is another problem. The team is good on offense, but not elite. And, you know, it's bad enough that their defense is terrible. If they wanted to be a good team despite that, their offense would have to be incredible. But it hasn't been incredible. Um, they aren't a great shooting team. They don't shoot all that well from three. They're also not a great two-point shooting team. Um, and, like, their offense has been pretty inefficient this year. They rank 21st in effective field goal percentage, which is not good. And it's kind of incredible that they're even top 10 in offensive rating with their efficiency being this bad. But the big reason why they've been efficient offensively is because um, they grab a ton of offensive rebounds and they get to the free throw line a lot. Um, they also have a great creator in Trey Young. Like Trey Young's having an incredible season. But outside of him, they don't have anybody who's like a, 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 an elite creator that also hurts the team. It's why they're not performing all that well. Um, a, a big question with this team is whether or not they're going to be sellers at the trade deadline and whether or not they trade DeJounte Murray, who they traded for at the trade deadline a few years ago. Actually, they did not trade for him at the trade deadline. That was a mistake. They traded for him in the offseason. I don't know why I was thinking that they traded for him at the trade deadline. But they did trade for him a few years ago, and now they're thinking about trading him. Um, I think they should consider trading him, and that's not an anti-DeJounte Murray take. I like DeJounte Murray, and I think he's good. I just don't like his fit in Atlanta alongside Trey Young. Um, I don't love his fit here. I think he, um, his production has gone down in Atlanta, especially this season, largely because it's not a great fit. Um, I don't think he's been good enough defensively to help out our defense. Um, and I think that we gave up too much <clears throat> to get him in the first place, and so I would like to trade him, try to get some picks back that we traded um, when we first got him, I think that would help us out, I know the Lakers are interested in him, I would be interested in trading DeJounte Murray for Austin Reeves and draft capital, I think that would be a solid trade, um, and I think that's something the Hawks should and will consider, and it'll be really interesting to see if the team moves on from him, but I think that's something they should consider, I think the team has to be honest. Like, I think the front office has to say, you know what, we're a mediocre team. We've been mediocre for a couple of years, and it's going to be hard to get better with the current core that we have. We do have some good players. Like, I think Trey Young is awesome. I think uh, Jalen Johnson has the potential to be really, really good. At, at their best, DeJounte Murray is good. Bogey's good. 
uh, Clint Capella can be good when he's playing well on defense. He's not this year, but um, at his best, he's good. Onyek has got a lot of potential. I think A.J. Griffin has a ton of potential. I know he hasn't been playing well this year, um, and he's dealt with some stuff off the court, but at his best last year, he was really good and was an exciting prospect. So I think this team has the potential to be good, but the core right now is not it. Like This is not the core that we're going to win with. We've got to make some changes, and we've got to have a little bit of a rebuild before we can be like a good playoff team. But I think we can reach that level at some point. We've got a lot of good young players. They've just got to develop, and we've got to make some trades to help the core to fix our issues. And then eventually, I think we can be a good team. But right now, we're not there. <clears throat> and, and it's going to take a lot of changes for us to get there. But, yeah, it's going to be a disappointing season for the Hawks, I think. Um, it'll be interesting to see what they do at the trade deadline, whether or not they sell um, and try to <clears throat> get some draft capital and trades and get some young talent. But, yeah, those are my thoughts about the Atlanta Hawks, why they've been struggling, and what they should do moving forward. But, yeah, and that's pretty much all I have for this episode of the podcast. It was really long. Like We talked about a lot of stuff here. Um, I, I thought it was really good. I hope y'all agree. I hope y'all enjoyed it. Um, but yeah, that's all I have for today's episode of the podcast. You can hit me up on social media at the Ryan McCrary. That's the R-Y-A-N-M-C-C-R-A-R-Y. Um, that's where you're most likely going to reach me. And that is my handle on Twitter and Instagram. Twitter's the best place to reach me. I'm on there a lot. But yeah, that's all I have for today's episode of the podcast. I hope you all enjoyed, and I will see you all next time. Peace. <laughs>